Glory to Jesus Christ, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their history, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loyal, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is the story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by the iconography of Father Thomas J. Loya. Father Loya's iconography for your prayer and home devotion may be obtained by going to MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com. That's MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com. Then click on the Art and Decorative link and click on Icons in the drop-down or call 630-629-1720. Morningstar Books and Gifts, 28 West St. Charles Street, Lombard, Illinois. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya. Glad to be here once again with Katie Goulas. Hello, Katie. How are you? Glory to Jesus Christ. Glory to him forever, Father Tom. Gosh, Katie, you're all grown up. Used to be known as Katie <laughs> the Byzantine, huh? Yeah, way yeah. many, many, many moons ago. <laughs> and those of you who have been with us over the years, uh, remember Katie as the Byzantine. That's she started as a teenager. We call them Byzantines in our church. But Katie's all grown up now, and we're happy that she's with us here. And she's working for the summer, right? Mm -hmm. And also going to school, you're done. I'm still going to school, um, working at the library, and mm -hmm. then um, going to school to be a teacher still. So oh. I want to start teaching journalism now instead of oh, being wow. out in the field. But it's kind of interesting because even at the library, they've still got me taking videos for them and editing it and putting it online. So in a weird way, I'm still doing mm -hmm. what I went to school to do, just in a little oh, good. different platform. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I'm glad that you're here doing your thing here on Light of the East as well, <laughs> using your abilities and talents. And summertime's a great time, isn't it? I love it. Summer's I amazing. Know, it goes too fast. But one of the things that's kind of neat about it is, liturgically speaking, and especially in the Eastern churches, is some of the feast days we have that kind of perforate the summer, as it were. We're in what's called, well, the Latin rite might know it as ordinary time. We call it, because it's never totally ordinary. <laughs> <laughs> for us. and But we call it the Sundays after Pentecost. That's kind of like our ordinary time. But even the ordinary time gets perforated by some extraordinary things. And I associate in my mind, Katie, these events with summer. So they're like happy feast days. They're fun feast days for me. One of them's coming up this week in the Byzantine calendar. That is the Feast of St. Elijah the Prophet. I always enjoy that feast because I know that when we come to the Elijah the prophet in the Byzantine calendar, I know that we're in the, the heart of the summer. We're in the dog days of summer because it's there deep into July, you know, and I just love it. And 
Of course, we have the great tradition in our church of blessing vehicles. We come to church, we have the liturgy there, and people bring their vehicles to bless. And why do we bless our vehicles? Because in great Byzantine style, we always associate, make living, make it dynamic, what happened in the scripture, the event, or in the life of the saint. And of course, with Elijah, what happened was he was taken to heaven in a fiery chariot. And so because he was in a chariot, In the Byzantine church, that means that vehicles now become significant because we associate them with something holy, something that happened in the Bible. So people bring their cars and their bikes and everything, and we bless the vehicles after liturgy. And I always remember that, associate that with summer because they go out after liturgy and it's warm, you know, and to bless those vehicles. And of course, somebody always has to say, you got to bless mine twice, Father, you know, because it's kind of a jalopy or it needs a paint job or something. Or they think somehow it's going to become clean. Mm -hmm. They don't have to take it to the car wash. But Well, Father Tom, I have a confession to make. Yes. (laughs) One time, I think it was actually more than once, when you or one of the deacons was going around blessing the cars, when you sprinkled my car with holy water, I'm always the one who makes the car beep. Oh, that's right. That's right. With the remote, yeah. <laughs> it's just my my car's way of saying thank you for blessing me. You know. <laughs> Very good. See, see, even the Disney Church, even cars speak. See. Yeah. There you uh, go. We, mm-hmm. You know, Disney has nothing over on us. You know, <laughs> think think copy from us. <laughs> we make everything very alive because. Our spirituality is very incarnational. It is very alive. It's very integrated. And so everything becomes significant. Everything is worth blessing and kissing and bowing to and incensing, whether it's something living or even something man-made, like an icon or blessing a vehicle. Because, of course, our vehicles are things that are very, very important to us, and they convey us, or as they carry us. And so as they carry us, we want to go in them with God. Be mindful of God and, and be thankful for this wonderful, like, for instance, even in the prayer that we say, we thank God for giving human beings the wisdom and ability to make these vehicles which are, quote-unquote, fast as the wind. And so we, we appreciate even the ability that God gave us to do and make, you know, even man-made inventions, but we connect them always with God. But St. Elijah was a great prophet, especially in the Eastern Church. We have many churches that are called Elijah, named after him, St. Elijah. And, of course, we have a big icon in our church in the back wall of St. Elijah. And it's a, got a big red circle, a big fiery circle, because it's how the iconography depicts him being taken to heaven in a fiery chariot. But we also have what's called the Synaxarian, which is a book of every day. It explains the saint, the life of the saint, or the significant day, the feast day. And Katie's going to read a little bit about St. Elijah from the Synaxarian of the Byzantine Church. A man who saw God, a wonder worker and a zealot for faith in God, Elijah was of the tribe of Aaron from the city of Tishba, whence he was known as the Tishbite. When Elijah was born, his father Saba saw angels of God around the child, swaddling it in fire and feeding it with flames. This was a foreshadowing of Elijah's fiery character and his God-given fiery powers. He spent his whole youth in prayer and meditation, withdrawing often into the desert to ponder and pray in tranquility. At the time, the Jewish kingdom was divided into two unequal parts. The kingdom of Judah consisted only of the tribes of Judah and Benjamin, with its capital at Jerusalem, while the kingdom of Israel consisted of the other ten tribes, with its capital at Samaria. The former kingdom was ruled by the descendants of Solomon, and the latter by the descendants of Jeroboam, the servants of Solomon. The prophet Elijah came into the greatest conflict with the Israelite king Ahab and his evil wife Jezebel, for they worshipped idols and turned the people from the service of the one living God. On top of this, Jezebel, being a Syrian, persuaded her husband to build a temple to the Syrian god Baal and appointed many priests to the service of this false god. Elijah performed many miracles by the power of God, 
He closed the heavens, that no rain should fall for three years and six months, called down fire from heaven to consume the sacrifice to his God, while the priests of Baal were unable to do this, brought rain from heaven at his prayers, miraculously multiplied corn and oil in the widow's house of Zarephath, restored her dead son to life, prophesied to Ahab that the dogs would lick up his blood and to Jezebel that the dogs would devour her, which came to pass and performed many other miracles, and foretold many events. He talked with God on Horeb, and heard his voice in the calm after a great wind. At the time of his death, he took Elisha, and appointed him his heir as a prophet. He parted the Jordan with his mantle, and was finally borne to heaven in a fiery chariot drawn by fiery horses. He appeared together with Moses to our Lord Jesus Christ on Tabor, and at the end of the world, Elijah will appear again to break the power of Antichrist. Yes, you see, he went to heaven, body and soul. He went. God received him some way, uh, and he did not die in the same way that we do, because again, because of his great, great holiness. And Elijah is also considered to be, in a sense, I'm going to say this in a qualified sense, sort of reincarnated, as it were, at least spiritually speaking, prophetically speaking, not physically, but prophetically reincarnated in the person of St. John the Baptist. He's kind of the New Testament Elijah. So Elijah is a huge figure, and that's why, why we have him commemorated, as we do, with such circumstance and tradition and ritual <laughs> with the blessing of cars and so on, blessing of vehicles, in the Byzantine calendar. So July 20th, the Feast of St. Elijah in the Byzantine calendar. As always, we express what we believe about an event or about a person, such as Christ or a saint, by the prayers that we say. And some of the prayers for the Feast of St. Elijah sound like this. Like David, O faithful, let us venerate with hymns today Elijah the Tishbite, the prophet of the Lord, a zealot for the foremost light, because he closed up heaven as with a tent and made the fertile land unfertile. Oh, the miracles of the most glorious one. A person of the earth did not permit the heavens to give rain. A corruptible man was clothed with incorruptibility, and he was taken up into heaven a chariot of fire. Indeed, by means of his mantle, he granted a twofold grace to Elisha. Or Elisha, could be pronounced Elisha. He reproved the king and inflicted the arrogant people with hunger. He denounced all the shameful ones, and by a word he resurrected the widow's son. By his prayers, O Christ our God, preserve our country in peace and grant us victory over enemies. You can tell by the tone of this that it's very characteristic of the way that we worship and chant and pray in the liturgical tradition of the Eastern churches. And that is, as you just heard, a kind of a theological expose or recounting using the phrases from Scripture and also some ad additional kind of expressions or reflections, as it were, that get across the theology, sort of the theme, the meaning, significance of the event or of the person. And so our prayer in the Eastern Church, as you just heard here from the prayer for Elijah, sounded very much like what Katie read from the Synaxaria. In other words, it sounded almost like a history lesson. So what we do is we recount historically what the person did and biblically, and also with some added reflections to it. And we therefore communicate through prayer the significance of that person or the theme of the event that we're celebrating. So very characteristic again of Eastern spirituality, Eastern prayer. Our prayer is our theology. Our theology is our prayer. And also it's very instructional. It immerses you into the Bible, which is another reason why it's so important to attend church. It's so important to attend the many holy days that we have in Eastern churches because 
they immerse you into the Bible. Yeah, they immerse, they immerse you in the Bible. We use phrases from the scripture, either implied or paraphrases or explicit phrases, and we sort of put them together in a composition and add a few reflections in there, and lo and behold, you've got Byzantine liturgical prayer. And the Feast of St. Elijah is one of those great examples. When we return, we're going to talk more about some interesting figures from the church. In fact, today in the Byzantine church is Father's Day. I'm Father Thomas Loya here with Katie Gullis. Please stay with us here on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support in order to keep Light of the East on the air. You can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. I'm Father Thomas Loya, and I'm inviting you to Prairie Fest. This year's fest features a 5K run, beanbag tournament, and trivia contest. Experience the reverential awe of our church interior and take a meditative walk for our award-winning landscape. Prairie Fest. No admission charge, Prairie Fest. Kicks off at 7, Friday evening, August 12th, with music by the Tinley Park Arts Alive Jazz Band. Then Saturday, August 13th at 2.30, the U of I Guys Band, playing your favorite hits. Later, at 7, the fabulous Neverly Brothers. That's why I go for that rock and roll music. On Sunday, August 14th at 11.30 a.m., Polka with Eddie Wozonczyk's Versatones on their farewell tour. Oh, how I miss you. Followed by Harvest Moon at 3. Prairie Fest, $5,000 grand prize raffle. Details at ByzantineCatholic.com on the events page. Friday through Sunday, August 12th through the 14th at Annunciation Parish, 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Married couples, I have good news for you. There are no such things as marriage problems. I am Father Thomas J. Loya with a Theology of the Body moment for the Tabor Life Institute. There are no marriage problems. There are only problems in knowing and living the theology of the body, which answers the question, why are we a man and why are we a woman? When we know this, we come to know our legitimate needs as man or woman, and marriage is all about meeting these legitimate needs. Remaining unaware of these needs is what begins the process of exchanging hurts, leading to strained relationships. A woman's greatest need is to be relationally fulfilled by knowing her husband is emotionally present to her. A man's greatest need is to know that his wife believes in him, that he is more than adequate, and that he has what it takes to be a man. Our legitimate needs as man and woman are revealed in the very language of our gendered bodies. To find out more about the theology of the body, visit TaborLife.org. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host, and we're here with Katie Gullis. Katie, we have Father's Day today in the Byzantine Church. Actually, there's several Father's Day, as it were, meaning we pause in the liturgical calendar to commemorate what we call the fathers of the church, especially council fathers. Now, today, this Sunday, in the Byzantine liturgical calendar, there is a commemoration of, actually, this is called the Sunday of the Fathers of the First Six Ecumenical Councils. Now, these first six ecumenical councils were councils where people convene, bishops, priests, theologians, convene to kind of 
hash out what may have been confused about the belief in Jesus Christ, and in particular also the Trinity, and also the Mother of God. When these confusions happened, you ended up usually with a heresy. So the church had come together, they would convene a great council, and they would come together and sort of hash out this heresy and come to the full teaching, the correct teaching of the church. And once the council proclaimed it, that was then the teaching of the church. In fact, the first council actually happened in 51 AD. That's when the apostles got together at the first council of the church, which was held in Jerusalem. And in fact, once the apostles at that time made their decisions and what they were discussing, one of the things they were discussing was basically this transition from the, do they have to practice the Jewish ritual, the Jewish laws? Do the, do the Christians have to adhere to the laws of the Old Testament now that they are now Christians? And of course, the, in the end, the Jerusalem apostles decided, no, they do not. And once they decided, they said, it is the decision of the Holy Spirit and ours too. That's how they would phrase it. And that phrase was used, continued to be used, in subsequent councils in the history of the church. That phrase is found in the book of Acts, chapter 15, in the Bible. Now, the first six ecumenical councils I mentioned had to do largely with the nature of Christ. In other words, is he God, is he man? How can he be both? Is he fully both? Or does he have two natures and two wills? Is he two persons? Is he one? Is he one or the other? Etc. and so on. And of course, this then developed into questions later on about the Holy Spirit, you know, the third person, the Trinity. And then also along with that, of course, it's going to affect how you think and articulate and believe about the Mother of God, the Theotokos. So these councils largely were concerned with these issues. Now, a council, an ecumenical council, is so if it's summoned by the Pope and presided over by the Pope or by legates appointed by him. It's a, they're attended by bishops from the entire Christian world, and if the decisions of a council are accepted by the Roman pontiff, then it is considered to be an ecumenical council. Now, some of the early councils were summoned by the emperors, but they were considered ecumenical because the pope approved their decrees. A gathering of bishops does not represent the church as a whole unless it is joined to the pope as head of the church. Now, this is a little bit different than understanding of the Eastern ecclesiology, the Eastern churches, especially our Eastern Orthodox brethren. They have a, what's called a more local church ecclesiology. In other words, they can proclaim something if a particular patriarch and his bishops and priests come together and they proclaim it. In other words, there is not one central head in the Eastern Orthodox churches as there is in the West with the Pope of Rome. But rather, each church is considered to be a complete entity in itself. Now, the history of this particular celebration of the six ecumenical councils in the Byzantine calendar is kind of interesting. This actually was the commemoration of the Council of Chalcedon, which happened in 451 AD. But later on, the other councils were put together on this particular Sunday. Now, the seventh council is not celebrated on this Sunday with the other six because it's considered to be kind of special because it had to do with the iconoclast heresy. The other councils all had to do with the natures of Christ, the Holy Spirit, and the Mother of God. Now, iconoclasm also obviously is rooted in what we believe about Christ and the Mother of God and the Holy Spirit because it has to do with incarnation. But nonetheless, the fathers over time reserved the seventh ecumenical council as a celebration in of itself. Now, each council does have its own celebration as well, the other six. But on this Sunday, we celebrate all them together. This Council of Chalcedon, though, which was the origin of our current Sunday of the Fathers of the Sixth Ecumenical Council, was originally observed on July 11th or the 16th. 
Now, I'm kind of proud about that note from history because I was ordained to the priesthood on July 11th. So I just celebrated recently my 29th anniversary of ordination. Happened to be on the original date of the Council of Chalcedon. But also, there's a saint on that day, Saint Euphemia, who has a certain connection with this Council of Chalcedon on, in its original date on July 11th. And Kate is going to read once again from the Senexarian about that interesting connection with Saint Euphemia. This saint is commemorated on September 16th, the day on which she suffered. On this day is commemorated the miracle wrought by her precious relics, revealed at the time of the Fourth Ecumenical Council in Chalcedon. This council was called together in the reign of the Emperor Marcion and the Empress Pulcheria in 451 after the death of the Emperor Theodosius the Younger, and was summoned because of the heresy of Dioscorus, the Patriarch of Alexandria and Eutyches, the Archimandrite in Constantinople, who had disseminated the false teaching that there were in Christ not two natures, divine and human, but only one, a divine nature. At this council, the chief role was played by Anatolius, Patriarch of Constantinople, and Juvenal, Patriarch of Jerusalem. Because, through the quarrels and evidence on both sides, no decision could be reached, Patriarch Anatolius suggested that the Orthodox and the heretics each write down their confessions of faith and that they be put into the coffin that contained the relics of St. Euphemia. All agreed to this. Two confessions of faith, then, were written and placed in the hands of the great martyr. The coffin was closed and sealed with the imperial seal, a watch then being set over it. They then all spent three days in fasting and prayer. On the fourth day, when the tomb was opened, they saw the orthodox confession of faith in the saint's right hand and the heretical one beneath her feet. Thus was the conflict resolved by God's power on the side of orthodoxy. In the time of the emperor Heraclius, the relics of St. Euphemia were translated from Chalcedon to Constantinople, to the church dedicated to her near the Hippodrome. The iconoclast emperor Leo ordered that her relics be thrown into the sea, but by a wonderful act the coffin was brought to the island of Lemnos and placed in the church of the great holy martyr Glycuria. Then, in the time of the Empress Irene, the coffin, with its relics, was taken to Constantinople, to its former place. Blood has flowed from these relics from time to time, to the succor of the sick and the feeble. Well, Katie, I'm rather proud, I must say, and humbled at the same time to think that I was ordained on a day that is so significant in the history of the true teaching of the Church, and especially that this Saint Euphemia, this female saint, had something to do with the establishing what was the true church, the true teaching of the church in this event. So, interesting. Now, also, as always, when we celebrate a feast day, as we do this Sunday, the Sunday of the first six ecumenical councils, we, of course, chant the meaning of it. And this is, once again, one of our prayers. O glorious fathers of the councils, you demonstrated that Pyrrhus, Sergius, and Euphrius, Dioscorus, and Astorius were in error. Concerning their doctrines about Christ, you save the flock by teaching the true principle that Christ is one divine person in two natures. This Christ we adore as perfect man and perfect God, one with the Father and the Holy Spirit. O Holy Fathers, we honor you and sing to you a hymn of praise. Again, you see the character of Eastern prayer, especially in the liturgy, liturgical prayer. We kind of don't mess around. We'll come right out and condemn somebody. <laughs> we'll mention them by, we'll actually name names in our condemnation <laughs> of these heretics. <laughs> and also then we, of course, bring in to the chant, the prayer, what the heresy was fighting against, in order to establish the true teaching. And all that is done within the context of our prayer, our liturgical prayer. So once again, we pray as we believe in the Eastern churches. Now, there's been a total of 21 councils, ecumenical councils. Again, they're called ecumenical 
at least in the Catholic Church, if the Pope was present or somehow honors that council or the decisions of that council. So it has to be in the Western Church, in the Catholic Church, the key thing is it has to be connected with the Pope. Now in the East, the Eastern Orthodox churches do not recognize any of the councils as ecumenical. They only recognize the first seven councils, which takes them up to the year 787 AD. All the other councils after that to the present, the Orthodox do not really recognize as ecumenical. They might see them as having been significant. I mean, they acknowledge that they exist, but they don't see them as ecumenical. One of the biggest reasons too is because the Orthodox were not present because most of the councils happened during a period after the Great Schism, the great break between East and West. So it is our hope that someday we will, of course, renew, reunite the torn body of Christ of East and West. And maybe, who knows, maybe that'll happen in a council in our own lifetime. So I want to thank you for listening to us here at Light of the East. I was here again with Katie Goulis, and I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Would you like to hear this Light of the East program again? Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya. Or hear Father Loya's companion program, A Body of Truth. Just visit the radio page at byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. Or hear it again. Hear it again. Hear it again. Hear it again. For the first time. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To find out more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue this program with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount would be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East 14610. Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610, Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K, Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God bless you and grant you many happy years. CRI, CatholicRadioInternational.com.